0: Welcome to episode number two. Episode number two? Yes. I think
1: it's a little more than that.
0: Yeah.
1: But how about Welcome to Voxology Podcast?
0: Welcome to my podcast, the Voxology Podcast. Yeah, and
1: Tim's podcast. And Tim's podcast, yeah. And Sethi's podcast. Yes. There have been, um, we've received complaints from our listenership about where Seth has been. And the answer, thankfully, has been at school. So we record on Fridays. (laughs) At noon, central time, and uh, typically the young man here to my left is uh, in school at that time. But this week we have what? Fall break. Yeah, fall, fall break this break. week. Fall break. That's right. Fall break. Right. So what did you do last weekend that was so fun to start your fall break? You um, want to tell everybody?
0: Um, yes, I did, Chris, man.
1: We, yep, yeah, we went to our friend Chris's to swim in his jacuzzi. And Andrew. Yep, and Andrew came over. But what did you do last weekend? Where did you go? Huh? last weekend, last yeah. Saturday and Sunday, where did you go? Were you in were you in Nashville, Tennessee? Yeah, no Just saying. King's Island, ladies and gentlemen, went up to visit his brother in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio.
0: I went away.
1: Yeah, there was that. so so I was down here uh, teaching um, my wife and Seth and our oldest Nate and his girlfriend Katie were at King's Island together. And Seth Erie decided. When he saw his mother, kind of um, meandering her way out of the bumper cars, Seth Theory made made a a clean break from his family, Uh and we didn't find him for a while. And where did you go?
0: Games. Yeah,
1: he wanted to play the games. So, security was involved. Lots of anxious feelings, and Seth Theory. And yep, he was gone for ninety minutes. And Seth.
2: Ninety minutes.
1: Yeah, I know. I was. I was just. I was, like, queuing up the Liam Neeson Taken speech. You know, I will find you.
2: I have a particular set of skills.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, and, then, um, and then Nate found him in line, and he wanted ice cream. So we knew he was okay. Did you even know? Did you miss this? Yeah. Oh, okay. I could, very convincing. Um, yeah. So we did King's Island, but you rode big roller coasters, right? He loves, I mean, bro, yeah. he goes all in. I
0: like a dieback.
1: Diamondback back was the big one.
0: And Orion.
1: And Orion? Yeah. Oh, dude, that and was a beast. And the beast. So that was that was how we kicked off fall break. And then we do, we've done some other small things, I huh? hate the mom. Okay, so we're confessing sins this morning. Yep. So Seth Erie was frustrated with his mom and hit his mom. So Uh-oh. anything else you need to get off your chest? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Seth, we love you. I love too. Yeah, I want to get all- cut. Yeah, you are gonna go get your hair cut, huh? I would
0: a bit. Yeah, in a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you smell good, dude. Just had a shower.
0: Yeah, Ew, like Tim.
1: Stafford. Like like Tim Stafford. Tim Stafford. I don't know. Like Massey. I don't know how often Tim Stafford showers. Can we get a can we get an estimate on that? What would you say, Tim? How many times Every a day. week? Every day. Yeah. Oh, okay, he's Ma- got us both beat then.
0: Messi, we are you.
1: Oh, She's at
2: School. She has a jogathon today. So she is school today, dude.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not you. It's fall break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say anything uh, else to the Voxology people?
0: Mm, yes.
1: Okay. late on us. Okay,
0: tomorrow we we'll have Vox dinner tomorrow.
1: We have Vox dinner tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that would be super fun, but I'm unaware of such events. Yep. Yep. Did you uh, Did you pray for Tim Stafford this morning? Yeah. yeah. Yeah you did. Yeah about, you did. About revenue. Yeah, about revelation. That's right. Look look at revelation, Tim, for your comfort these days. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. There is whisk and revenue. There he goes.
1: Okay, here we go. Yep, that's right. That's where we're going. We got revelation today. Thank you, Seth Erie. Well done. We love you, <laughs> Seffie. The boy, I mean his he is freshly showered. Smells f- fantastic. Excuse me, and um, gonna go get a haircut. So nice. It's a big you know, day. It is a. It is absolutely a big day. Absolutely a big day. So anyway, um, Timothy, I don't even want to ask how you are because I think I know. <laughs> so we're recording this on the Friday after the Saturday that Israel was attacked. Yes. Um, so so last Saturday, I'm I'm trying to work on a sermon for sunday and all of a sudden my twitter feed is is just i mean unbelievable in terms of some of the images and some of the reports and you know over the week it's just been even worse i think than we you know suspected yes and um you know invariably uh, all the reactions i mean you could have predicted it you know and we'll talk about those just for a little bit. But um, Tim, one of the many reasons that people love Tim is that Tim has this gift of empathy that is both a blessing and curse. And um, and so Tim, how? I mean, I, I I'm asking for myself because we literally <laughs> just hit record and we just got on the call without talking much. But how are you? You had therapy the other night, so this can also be a subset of to middle-aged white oh, guys, white in, guys therapy. in therapy. And this can also be just the horribleness of the world and why Jesus needs to return. That segment as well.
2: Yeah, that was therapy. That was most of therapy last night was just being completely overloaded. And I hate talking about it because I feel like I, it sounds like I'm trying to make this terrible thing about me and that's not how my brain is processing yeah. it. But no, I not at like all. I have like a very extreme and it wasn't necessarily that it was just these two nations it was just the amount of human just loss i was just overwhelmed there was a girl early on <clears throat> i think the very first attack that was at that concert mm. when hamas came in and they took and she was not even from israel she's from germany i think and just terrible terrible things happened to her and i could not yeah. get her face yeah. out of my brain for yeah the entire week. So every time I closed my eyes, I could see her eyes staring at me. Mm. So there's just a lot, terrible images talking to my, uh, I was, had an interesting, interesting conversation with my therapist about it. Cause I was, you know, I don't, I don't want to ignore the things that are happening in the world. You don't want to be ignorant to them. You know, mm-hmm. you want to grieve with the people that are grieving and stuff. But at the same time, my empathic, things get overloaded and i'm i'm Mm. not good to anybody in that state what's that
1: does that does that sort of just shut you down or like what 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 effect when you get in like that i mean what's that is that is that just numb or is that just so flooded with emotion yeah it's it's flooded
2: like intense grief intense like um anxiety Mm. um just all that kind of stuff it all compounds and builds and you're trying to find what is a healthy place within that conversation, you know, which is mostly yeah. just being quiet and listening and lamenting and grieving. And I, you know, yeah. I'm not posting my opinion on things. I just mm. lament and just, just heavy grief for the whole week. Yeah. I'm both like, you know, the response from one nation to the other has not been great either. So it's just so much human loss mm. and it's just not good. And then I read things like Forbes put out an article about how Lockheed Martin and these other defense contractors had their largest stock jumps in years. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the, the people profiting off of human loss too, that gets under my skin and yeah, it's just a bunch of things. But I did read this one thing that one of our listeners posted on Facebook. And I don't know this person, Richard Beck. Do you know Richard Beck? I don't think so. He's a Christian, and author, and he's a psychologist. Oh, oh,
1: oh. I, I thought, okay, yeah. I don't know that Richard, that Richard Beck is one of our audience members, but I know Richard Beck, the the guy that you're talking about.
2: Right. So this wasn't it wasn't a Richard Beck that posted it. It was um, Got it. one of our friends named Ryan that posted it. Yeah, yeah. It was a video thing. I went and watched it and it started off with the guy asking him, where is God now? And it wasn't pertaining to this situation mm. was just kind of in general. And he, he said, I'm just going to read what he wrote or what he said, because I thought it, it's been churning in my head all week. Mm. And he said, the safest place to put God is in the other. There's a theme mm. through scripture of how God shows up incognito in the strangers. Matthew 25, when did we ever see you, Lord, the displaced, the hungry, offered shelter. Yeah. Um, there's a working assumption that God is always coming to me and the other person rather than me being the agent of God entering mm. the world. God's always coming to me as a gift in the other. That's the safest place to locate God. It puts you in an open, expectant, and generous posture Mm. that the other person can become an agent of grace. That's right. That's right. So I loved that. I felt that was really poignant Mm. in this moment of just being, that's how I want to posture myself. That's how I want to look at the world. That's how I want to react to situations. I want to be looking for God and other people and let them be agents of grace and you'll find ways that I can bless people, but just that Mm -hmm. kind of, Mm -hmm. I like that, that I'm not the agent of grace in this situation. These people, the other people, I should be paying attention to that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. What, what did your therapist say are good, you know, uh, because I, I do think regardless, I don't know that I have, Oh, I know that I don't have the level of empathy that you have. Um, but it's still overwhelming, right? No matter. I mean, it's just it's it's I, I don't know that the human soul is designed. I don't think it is to be in touch with the suffering of the world on a moment by moment basis, you know what what did your therapist talk about
2: because that's that's something you never want to lose. I mean, that's a gift um, totally. and she talks about it that way too. because um, you know, one person's reaction when I'm overloaded might be like, stop like unplug get out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, don't pay attention don't look Flight. you can't handle it yeah and she's like we don't want to do that we don't want you to lose she's like it is important it is important to be in tune with what's happening and to grieve and lament because those are human reactions to human suffering but she's like you need to go when you're in the midst of feeling intense anxiety go outside stare at a tree for two minutes and breathe hmm and yeah. then there's like these, like, uh, what is it called? Somatic yoga or exercise like that that are based around vicarious trauma Ooh. and how to, because re- it builds up like static. Totally. Does it involve and a goat to... walking
1: on your back? Because I am
2: in. No, it's like these very specific postures that you put yourself in that, re- that can release that energy out of you. Mm, mm. And I was like, bang, that's exactly what it is. Like, I have an intense. Yeah ball of fire in my chest yeah and i need to get that out and so she gave me different exercises like that that are helpful for that kind of stuff
1: i would like that which is good yeah yeah i, I mean for me i um i just i i'm just uh, uh, uh i don't know i'm observing how we as humans on social media now relate to each other in the midst of something like this. So it's like instantly who is to blame. That's the number one first before we even grieve who is to blame on this. And it's America's fault, Biden's fault, Israel's fault, um, Hamas's fault. I mean, but, but just the, the, the instinctual need we have to scapegoat, um, and then, and then, right next to that need was a need to police each other's reaction.
2: Yep.
1: So you were to both sides in here. You know, you weren't clear enough in your denunciation. You were and and you know, and I, I, I think there there have been some really poor reactions. That's not to deny that there are some really poor reactions to this, but it's it's just fascinating. We just sort of skip over the atrocity of it all. And we're straight into who who is at fault for this. Then the reaction is policing each other's reactions. Then we go straight into scoring either theological points or political points. So the yeah. political points are, man, you know, this would never have happened if Trump were in office, um, which was the one I heard a, a bunch, or... or the theological point is see revelations coming true right before our very eyes. And guys, get ready. The rapture is coming. Yeah. Which, you know, it's just interesting that we just talked about that whole sort of thing. It totally. And, um, and so I, I had like layers of grief. The, the thing that I hated and, and I jumped, you know, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. I jumped on social media and was like, guys, beware of all the people who are going to over spiritualize this and make it about, you know, the rapture. And I don't know if that's wise or not to do. But there was almost this giddiness that skipped over how awful all of this was. And this a, a giddiness like, okay, guys, it's happening. It's happening. It doesn't matter how many human lives you know, are lost yeah. to bring it about. Guys, it's happening. Yeah, it's so gross. But see, that's a policing of other takes too. And so I, I find myself in this web of hypocrisy where, where I'm observing all of us policing each other's takes and then I'm policing a take and I'm observing all of us having to have takes and yet I'm offering a take. Right. And, um, I I really don't know how to be human in the midst of all of this, let alone how to be Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I just am perpetually puzzled by um, how to be um, public, how to be a, a public figure with integrity and with authenticity, or not that anyone is asking me to. Um, you know, but like we do we do talk a lot about it, these things and you know so and so and so on. So, on. So, so there was the initial like, oh my Lord, there was also, for me, the, this, the sense of, in those moments, it was like 9/11. I remember thinking I don't believe the teachings of Jesus in the face of this evil. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I I believe and I'm seeing this to myself. I believe the right answer is to obliterate Hamas like from the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, where's your loving the enemies and praying for those that persecute you and, you know, turning the other cheek? Mike, where's all that now? Cuz I'm just like, bro, if I were if I were Israeli, I'd be I'd be signing up to go, you know, and 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 so i just notice all of this this stuff floating around that's so inconsistent with itself you know what i mean it's inconsistent with jesus it's inconsistent with me it's inconsistent or whatever and so i think staring at a tree for 2 minutes and breathing <laughs> is really really great advice well, you part know? of it
2: too is like there, there is the obvious things like these defense contractors who are who get rich. The, the, it was the highest jump since uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, so you just see this like disgusting oh, yeah. cycle. Yeah, but it's like the people who have these who are making really hot takes and all of a sudden are geopolitical experts and stuff. <laughs> like they're they are profiting. Also, it may not be a financial profit. It may, maybe it is a financial point. profit, but it is a personal profit when they get to. make a hot take and benefit off of this terrible, terrible thing. And Mm. I just think it's gross. And I don't, and I know that I will lean into that too. I'm doing it by just like you just said, staking a claim and reacting to something. So it's why I was trying most for the most part, just to be really silent through all of this and just try to be human and acknowledge, uh, humanity and the loss of humanity and kind of just, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what else to do. I don't, and and then and then I I wonder.
1: I, I mean, this is so real. Like this is not thought through at all. But I'm wondering if silence isn't a good option either, because like we know. have friends in Israel, we have like friends, friendships, yeah, and um and to them it's really important that they see American Americans, American and American Christians saying the Jewish people deserve to be protected. Um, so I I just, like like Susie was going to go on the 20th. Uh, we're recording this on the 13th of October. She was going to go to Israel. My buddy Tim Timmons was going to go like literally the Sunday after the Saturday. And so all of a sudden there are all these personal connections. Um, and uh, I don't know. And that and, and it seemed they were expressing that it's super important that people speak up. Um so Maybe I, I just is. don't I don't
2: know. I, I, don't know I just either. don't know what the right response is. And you know, I sent you and Susie that thing last night about the all the women mm-hmm. in Israel and Palestine who are marching together that just like we want this to end. We want totally. peace. We want totally. to live side by side and in... Yeah. So I wonder how much of that sentiment is a much more broad sentiment, and this is you know, the few people in charge of these nations that just keep going back and forth and stoking fires and if it you know i don't know i know that this this animosity is very old well i don't yep sometimes when things are that old sometimes people don't know why they're doing it anymore they're just partnering in a lineage of animosity i have no idea but it's just really unfortunate yeah
1: it is. And I don't know. We, we talked about it as a church Sunday morning, obviously. Like just super raw going, good Lord. What does this mean for, like Susie, her dad is in Iran. Uh, uh, Iran. She would kill me if I said Iran. Iran. Um, what's that mean? You know, yeah. I mean, as the U.S. steams battleships and warships over there, you know, I mean, good night. So, um, yeah, it it was just a tough week and, and it's, and, you know, if the goal is to be human, then allowing all of these feelings to just be there is a good thing, Right. right? We would, you know, that's good. And, um, and realizing that, um, that I have, you know, and we have performative streaks that don't always need to be fed. That's a hundred percent. That's, that's super important too. But in terms of, you know, how to, I guess the thing that gets me is the, it's the profiting off. It's the, it's the, the theological people who look at, cause we're just we're neck deep in revelation. And the more I study it, the more I'm convinced that that whole dispensational approach is wrong. Yeah. And, um, and, and in some ways harmful, like not everyone that believes it is harming, not at all. Um, I used to think that it was true. Um, but, but wow, some, sometimes it's employed in ways that just take the sorrow, well, the suffering. You see that the, right
2: now. Exactly that, right? Like you, totally. it's the, it may not, it may feel like a harmless theology, but it does pit you against other people. Yeah. Because it, it, it is a, is a border, it's a border built theology. You're in, yep. you're out. And, Absolutely. and you, I, you know, I, I'm sure you did too. I saw a ton of that this week with, um, Jesus rhetoric towards what was happening. I was like, God, yeah. this is not the time and the place guys. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So I don't know, friends. I mean, like many of you. We're just sort of dumbfounded by it and unsure what all of this means. And, and and America, I don't know, just seems so fragile right now in terms of like the amount of anger, hatred, and contempt that Americans have for each other. Um, you know, just seems bewildering. And I, every time I think, man, this this has to be the bottom, right? It's like, nope. I think <laughs> nope. there's more. The seller to be has a seller. so you know how do we be the church for um for these days you know how do we how do we be fully engaged in the world and feeling all of our human feelings and being all in and aware and providing some counter narrative you know so
2: yeah, I don't know, after I read that Richard Beck thing, or listened to him say it, I, I just had the fruits of the Spirit like kind of cycling through my head. Right. And just looking yeah. at how many of those are manifested in my yeah. communal life and my family life, but also just in how I relate to yeah. the world at large. And, and yeah, I, I miss the mark with a lot of those things quite often. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure yeah. out how do I live in this way now? How do I live with treating, seeing God in the other, letting God speak to mm. me through... All the people mm-hmm. that I judge and are, are angry with, or whatever.
1: Yeah, yep. I mean, and that's the challenge of the sermon, right? I mean, that that's the part of the the cruciform life that
2: is just the worst, <laughs> <laughs> and the best. What a life giving thing! Like, totally, you totally. Know, this idea of God coming, of these other people being agents of grace. Like, you're blessing people by by being
1: blessed Costured by that in a
2: way to yeah and then it's a blessing to you it's just this totally it's his great it makes so much sense well Gumbus Gumbus
1: gave me language for that when i never had it. he just he talked about receiving other people as a gift mm-hmm. and that when he said that years ago i i've always seen other people you know it, 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 in my worst uh moments i see other people as um Threats or means to yes. an end, or yep. um, I'm indifferent. Um, I don't often see people that I don't know as gifts, you know? Yeah. Um, and what a radical departure from like yep. n- the normal human way of doing life. So, boy, there's something there. And I mean, if at the end of the day, all of this that's going on in the world doesn't cause me to reflect on my contribution yeah to the violation of the world's Shalom I mean I am missing you know I'm missing a significant
2: part of what it is to be a jesus person I know right before this all happened i the that Carl Sagan quote came through with like the pale blue dot you know where he's talking mm, about like that how fragile it is. from the yeah and or just how like every every war, every birth, every marriage mm. every divorce everything that's ever happened in the history of the human race has happened on this little pale blue dot that's oh wow. And so it's a visual from the satellite looking backwards. And you can barely yeah. see earth. And it's just like, it That's makes also, you see how trivial these things yeah. are and how just, or, or misappropriate or misaligned they are. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. And I think about that when I see a lot of stuff and all the carnage and just one, and just what does God see and feel? You know, we, and you think yeah. you think of that verse in, of Cain and Abel and the blood, right? Like him hearing the blood totally. crying up from the dirt and that kind of stuff. And it's just like totally. how does he process us just annihilating one another over and over again on this little rock?
1: See, I think that's the word wrath. Like yeah. I, I think like like there has to be judgment because humans cannot annihilate each other as image bearers without consequence. Mm. And we've all so like these are the moments when our image-bearing, regardless of whether or not we're religious, our image-bearing betrays us, because we can't help want uh, justice and judgment and you know um, restoration for people who've been you know so harmed and protection for the innocent who are going to be caught in the middle of all of this and yeah. you know on and on and on and on. Which on is on. the real story? Well. Yeah, that's what I was abj- thinking
2: about. Like when people say God is good, especially in the middle of these kind of things, you know, they're yeah. just well, you know, God is good. God will sort it out, whatever. I started. I was trying to take a, as I've been doing with a lot of theology, trying to take a more of a bird's eye view to detach my American upbringing within my theology from the mm. truth itself. Mm. And so I was like, God is good, and I was like, Well, how how would you define good in Kenya? and how would you define good in australia and how would you define good in russia and all these different places like even just these different little locations on the planet define what is good differently based on their circumstances and their life yeah the way that their nation operates that kind of stuff when we say god is good we have a very benevolent kind of under american understanding of what that is when we throw that around yeah. so we have a therapeutic a, consumeristic individualistic yeah. view and so if you think about it within what's going on and, you know between israel and palestine right now and what mm. good means from god within that situation it's going to be very different than yeah how i define good or how we define oh, good here Lord. <laughs> so what does it mean that god is good and i totally. don't know but yeah yeah yep I'm trying to divorce rhetoric from you know just empty yeah thoughts or whatever
1: well this is yeah i mean i don't know if you want to poke around in this but th- for me, this is where the now and not yet of the kingdom like plays. Like it's the God is in control conversation. Is God um, in control? Well, yes and no. Yeah. Yes, in the control. sense Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then he is in control in the sense that history will come to a predetermined conclusion where it's renewal and restoration. But no in the sense that God is behind the evils that we do to each other. Come on right. now.
2: And then that, just that, that's a very simple unpacking, right? Like you could go for a couple hours on what you just said. Oh. And Lord, even within yes. that, there's just a, like that tandem itself is, that's a lot to sort through.
1: Like, so there's this, so, so at the church I'm a part of, uh, we're going through the book of Genesis. And so it's funny, we're doing Genesis there and Revelation here. Yeah. And so I'm getting, you know, I, the parallels are pretty awesome. But um, we're, we're looking at this in, in, in verse two. It says the earth is formless and void. And there's this beautiful Hebrew phrase that everyone knows. Tohu vavohu. <laughs> and it means desolate or it means desert wasteland. Or it means um, Everett Fox translates it as wild and waste. It's kind of uninhabitable space is the idea. And Jeremiah four, there's this passage that, that, talks about Jerusalem is is under siege. And I think it's from Babylon. Um, And Jerusalem literally is going to unleash Tohu Vavohu on Israel. And so the prophet is interacting with God, but also commenting on the destruction of the city. And there's literally an uncreation that takes place. He talks about the light going out, right? And the birds are no longer in the sky and there's no human to be found. and The land is wild and waste. It's a desolate ruin. And so you have, this, you have this borrowing from the prophetic literature from this, the Genesis 1 picture of uninhabitable, disordered um, mess. You know, it's not... Uh, and and that, that, that is what humans can do to each other. That humans can unleash... That's a lot. Tohu vavohu on each other. Yeah. And you're like, holy moly. And so you get, you get these later writers channeling these images of disorder and and you know desolation and and applying them to geopolitical events in their day. Um and, and they use they use the literal image of decreation. Like yeah. you go, you would flip the seven days of creation or the six days of creation, and then you get what Babylon's gonna do to Jerusalem. And so there, you know, what anytime we were talking about control or God's goodness, like there is from the very beginning of the biblical story, there is this acknowledgement that, that human, what, what the humans can do to each other is the equivalent of, you know, all of the forces of chaos and darkness creation. Yeah. That, that we can, we, you know, so we talk about dehumanizing another like that. Yeah. That's something that really happens. Like that's actually a good way to understand that. it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that, and that, What's happening right now is that Israel and Hamas... I don't know that it's a war between Israel and Palestine as much as I would say Israel and Hamas. But again, I'm no expert on this stuff. But there's a, almost a decreation that's going on. You know, like the their, the Gaza Strip is going to lay in ruins yeah. um, by the time this thing is done. And again, whether or not it's deserved... I got all of the things. I got it all. Um, but, but, you know... When you when you look at what the scripture provides, the scripture doesn't provide an excuse to over spiritualize everything, but the scripture provides language to describe what happens when evil kind of overtakes good in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, different. And it,
2: with your George Burns thing, it's like you it it is such a silly example, but it does it I've actually used it in conversations probably totally. three times in the last two weeks of like the why do you allow war? Why do you? It's like why do you allow yeah. decreation? Right. Why do you? Why do you partner in it? Why do you? Why do you come right. alongside and and actively participate in the decreation of the world? Right. It's and then what I think of meant for, or built for.
1: Exactly, which is the opposite of image bearing, right? Which yep. is the further creation of the world. So the question I have to ask is how do I partner with the forces of decreation and dehumanization all the time in yes. a quick snap judgment I make about another in From the, the
2: small to the large
1: Yes absolutely so I can get lost in the global you know miasma absolutely. of all of this stuff but then there's this other thing that has to happen and 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 it's keeping the two together that keeps me or that should keep me grounded enough to be humble to listen, to learn, to, yep. you know, muscle, all man. the things. And it's when I, I mean, it's one that American culture doesn't demand we use often or yeah. American Christianity, you know what I mean? It's, it's not a, it's not a. Uh, I come away. I've just realized how much of, of human life in the West is designed to help us feel virtuous about ourselves.
2: Right, and that's um, what I meant by the profiting, right? Like you may not be yeah. financially profiting, but you are virtue profiting, or you are stature yes. profiting, or you are even just your own emotional, like how you feel about yourself profiting
1: mm-hmm. off of having
2: the right take or the right words or the right totally. action or the right whatever. It's
1: not just being right, it's being seen to be right. Exactly. You know, yeah. Oh, uh, it's so it's so rough. Um, I tell you one thing, Tim, that you've not tried that I would recommend. This week. I have played four days of pickleball, and <laughs> I and I, let me just say this: I I fully want to admit uh, when I'm wrong. Well, I don't <laughs> want to admit when I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay. But you will. But oh, I will in this instance. So I've seen I've seen um, and been aware of sports that are games. So you know, you, you turn on ESPN in the spring in the darkness of the sports, you know, calendar. And you'll find cornhole tournaments or, um, you know, bowling. Yeah. And, and so I came across pickleball, which looks like a combination of ping pong, badminton and tennis. All my worst sports, all my worst sport and all the sports. I frankly, they don't involve physical contact, um, and running (laughs) over people. And so I'm not super interested And, um, our, we were up to to visit our mutual friend and we, we played pickleball and, uh, I loved it. And so my buddy, I have another buddy in, uh, here in, uh, Nashville, who's another Tim I have, and he has a beard. And, um, so he and I played pickleball at this, at this rec center with old people and dude, they wreck us. They they decreate us they dehumanize <laughs> us bro it is it's hilarious it is i mean we're we're the youngest people in there probably by 20 or 30 years and they i mean react. we we out of maybe 10 games we won two and um it's hilarious and i don't know why i'm bringing this up i was just thinking about like how have i been trying
2: to yeah exercise yeah, is a great yeah, tool for you can
1: do your yoga I'm going to do pickleball and I made so much fun of it and I made fun of all the old people that play it and now I'm just getting spanked and I want to publicly acknowledge <laughs> there are six older ladies who took Tim and I under their wing and, and they would, they they kind of laughed at us and they just smoked us over and over and over, told us all the rules were violating, we would try to hit hard, they would just dink it back and they ate our lunch. <laughs> And um, if you're in the mood, if, you're ever, if you ever need an ego check and you've never played pickleball, go find the oldest pickleball players you can find and watch them school you. And then that's that's my new spiritual discipline. Well, it's like, also
2: just like, I don't know what it is about it, but watching these like elderly couples in their little outfits and with their totally. rackets, have this little new lease on life. It's don't, such a listen,
1: beautiful thing. Don't ever, Tim, I'm telling you. Don't ever accept a game from a couple in matching outfits. <laughs> don't ever do that. All right? I'm just saying, like, don't.
2: You know, speaking I mean, I, of uh, cornhole, I saw there's a professional version of it where it's men playing it and they lay under the cornhole. What? Like, the you know, the cornhole, what do you call them? Stands? The Whatever you feel. Yeah, the, yeah, the bag ramp. They're laying under it so that the hole is right over their, uh, you know, their... The nether region? The nethers. And then you throw the things from under there, and then so if it goes in, it hits the other person right in the nethers. And leave it. People were very like it was very serious. (laughs) This is this is this is what happens when men have too much cultural power.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Women wouldn't spend cultural power doing such things. No. I love there. There are. I don't know. My my son Nate has got me into dad memes which I think are the greatest things ever. So like vacation dad is a meme and I'm totally that guy. But there's also like just why boys are really less developmentally like along compared to women. And yeah. it's it's the dumb stuff like that that I just I howled cuz I'm that I'm totally that guy. It's like is there a way we can turn this into a way to hurt each other? Yep. And if if it's a yes, then we're in. <laughs> you know? And it's just I don't know. I don't know. It's like you say, we sh- the sisters should run the world just for that reason. All right. Well, if you're a fan of the banter, you got your money's worth today. And That's if right. you're not, we'll timestamp this at 40 minutes in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had to process this. Tim, doggone it. It's the real. It's, this is real life. So let's say the rapture is not happening. Um, what, and the church is here for all of it, which, you know, when Jesus leaves and he says, Hey, my goal, my prayer isn't to take you out of the world, but it's that, you know, you might resist the evil one, you know? So that seems strategic. It seems consistent with, uh, with Jesus's prayer that the church stays through all of the travails of the world. Um, what's the role then of the church and shocking, shocking Timothy, it's going to be to faithfully witness to the lamb who was slain. So, I mean, that, you can literally turn it off now because that's the role of the church in the world. It's not to have cultural power. It's not to have political power. It's not to make the world Christian or to turn the world Christian. It's not to make institutions that are abstract Christian. It's not to uh, enforce a morality. It's not to uh, impose a social order. It is to be faithful and not just faithful in the sense of like, oh, let's hold on to the truth. No, the faithfulness in view here is the faithfulness that claims Jesus as Lord unto death. That's what's in view. Mm-hmm. So um, the the church is faithful when it suffers for the right reasons and in the right way. Um, the suffering that the church is undergoing in America now is of its own damn fault, it seems like. and uh, you know, and, and it's because we're not, Walking in the way of Jesus, at least for a lot of it. So you can hang up, uh, hang up. You can turn this off <laughs> right now because that's the point. There it is. Well, it's very applicable to the banter. Well, it seems that way. Um, so, so just as a reminder, let me do a little bit of review. And Tim, we've got some emails of, of people trying to find the chart. So I'm going to forward those to you. The chart somewhere.
2: Been, I've been responding to them.
1: Oh God bless you. Thank you, Tim. And speaking of a little blue ball, your your hat, yep, yep, is a representation of earth. Everything I That's love right. it's on that little <laughs> blue hat. Um, so <clears throat> the the purpose of revelation uh, in in our view is that he that that we're writing to um, flesh and blood churches. Seven as a representative number, but there were more there. And like it is a prophetic letter encouraging them to be faithful to Jesus written as a letter in an apocalyptic form. And so we're not super familiar with all of those genres. So revelation at times we can get lost and bewildered in all of the symbolism and what's literal and what's not. And we've covered that ad nauseum but the the encouragement given to each of the seven churches and and remember some of them weren't faithful at all. they were entertaining very false teachers. some of them were very faithful to the point where they were materially poor or someone from their church had died because they were you know resisting the allure of uh, empire uh, but to each church and to each member of each each, each church the 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 Invitation was to be victorious. And there were rewards given. So seven times to the seven churches, and two two seven to the one who is victorious, two eleven to the one who is victorious, two seventeen to the one who is victorious, two twenty-six to the one who is victorious, three five to the one who is victorious, three twelve to the one who is victorious, three twenty-one to the one who is victorious. And you're like, awesome. So the goal here is for these tiny, marginalized communities to be victorious. How does that work? Well, I heard about the Lion of Judah. The root of David, this triumphalistic, militaristic victory image. But I turned and I saw a lamb that was slain. And you realize over the course of chapters 4 and 5 that holy moly, the lamb that was slain is sharing the throne at the center of the universe with the invisible God. Like the lamb that was slain is how the invisible God works in the world and achieves victory. And then we get into this cycle of day of the Lord stuff. And we've covered that several episodes ago. I won't go into it all except, you know, if you have your chart handy. Um, There are... Uh, 21 different, three cycles of seven. And they, they share features in common, there are interludes, um, there, especially over the second and third sets of judgments. There is a brief note that there is no repentance by the nations. Um, and so, and we've made the point as we introduce the day of the Lord that these are cycles that are illustrating something that is ongoing throughout human history, but will culminate in the return of Jesus. Namely, the judgment of human evil in its institutional and nation-state forms. That God is opposed to that and will work against that actively. So, in chapter 6, we begin by meeting four horsemen that seem to describe human life on earth. Uh, The fifth seal, because remember the scroll was being held up by... Um, the one who sits on the throne. And there are all sorts of empire images tied into this. But this scroll is the authority to guide history to its conclusion. And the lamb who was slain is the only one worthy to take it. And so we break the seven seals. And as each seal is broken, certain things happen, right? Four horsemen. The fifth seal reveals to us what it looks like for the church to be victorious. The fifth seal in Revelation 6 says, When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, and to judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, which, again, is one of the things that was promised in chapter 2 and 3 to the people that overcome they were given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were martyred just had, as they had been. So we get a glimpse. This is one of the seals that the martyrs are, are waiting for God's justice to be poured out over the earth, that, that the blood crying out from the ground demands God's response, right? Right? Then we get the first version of the day of the Lord on the sixth seal. We covered this. And then at the end of chapter six, the the question is raised, well, who can stand it? Who can stand when the day of the Lord comes? That's straight out of Malachi, right? Towards the very end of the Old Testament. Well, then we hear about an angel with a signet ring going throughout the earth and sealing 144,000 people who will be protected during the, the day of the Lord shenanigans that are ongoing. And um, one of the things that, that happens is that we're given in, in the beginning of the chapter, a military census from this tribe at 12,000, from this tribe at 12,000, straight, straight out of the book of Numbers. And so this is kind of an army. We're reading about the army of God here that is like gathering, um, who will not only be witnesses to the day of the Lord, but it, they'll also participate in it later on in the in the text. And and so there, you know, Jehovah Witnesses see this as a very literal number, and you're trying to be one of the 144,000, and so on and so on and so on. So a lot of very literalistic readings, but the the twelve. The 12s here are all symbolic. The 144,000 is symbolic number. Um, And we know it's symbolic because that's the number John hears. But when he turns and he looks, he sees a great multitude. All right. So let me read from Revelation 7. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude, not just 120 or 144,000. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and language, standing before the throne and the Lamb. So who can stand? Who can stand when the day of the Lord comes? Well, we, we, we meet martyrs in chapter 6, the 144,000 in chapter 7, but then that 144,000 is representative of a great multitude from every tongue, tribe, and nation. They were wearing white robes again and holding palm branches in their hands. Then one of the elders asked me, these white robes, Who are they and where did they come from? I said, John says to the angel, sir, you know, (laughs) and he said, they are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So these are those, these are the people, excuse me, who have been victorious. These are the people who've overcome. How have they overcome through their faithful witness to the slain Jesus? Make sense? Yep. Like all the imagery fits together. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Right? So somehow they've shared or participated in or benefited from or are united with the sacrifice of this Jesus. Are you with me so far?
2: Yeah. I wouldn't want to unpack that part though.
1: <laughs> oh, we're not even we're not even started, Timothy.
2: <laughs>
1: After We meet those who can stand. Then we get the last trumpet or we get the last seal, which is the introduction of the trumpets. Right. And then we get the trumpets and and these are straight from the plagues of Egypt. Right. So we're using images of previous days of the Lord to now talk about the day of the Lord that's happening against Rome and will ultimately happen against all the evil empires of the world. Um, We get plagues on the sixth uh, trumpet, and then um, we get an interlude. Whereas during the seals, the question was asked, who can stand? In the trumpet, we get this report. The rest of humanity who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. So, after all of this judgment, the nations do not repent. All right? It's it's specifically pointed out that all of this happens and the nations do not repent. Then we get on the seventh trumpet, another day of the lord scenario that introduces us to seven bowls. This is all review, by the way, we're just going over it thoroughly. All right. Now, um we we get and before the bowls are poured out, we get this we get this interlude involving in chapter 10 called uh, it's a little scroll. <laughs> so, Alright, let me get into this. All right. This is all gonna fit together. Just just stay with me. All right, so um, after the the the, the seven t- or after the trumpets, there's no repentance. Then we have a day of the Lord, another, you know, that repetition of day of the Lord language. But then we have this weird sort of thing that happens in between the no repentance and the final trumpet. And John begins talking about a scroll and it's the scroll that the lamb had opened that had seven seals. That scroll is now open and it's given to John to eat. Now this is an image from Ezekiel, obviously, but, but it just means to ingest the message and proclaim it to the nations. Okay, Daniel, like the scroll is bound up in Daniel because it's not yet time to proclaim its true message or whatever. So So like eating the scroll is this picture of ingesting its contents and proclaiming it to the nas- to the nations. And we never get to hear what's on the lamb scroll, but its meaning is played out in two separate visions in chapter 11. All right? The first vision concerns a temple. And there are people who think this is the very literal temple, um, in Jerusalem. I, I, for reasons that we'll get into in just a second, I I think this is like the people of God as the temple, which is very consistently, you know, it's meaning throughout the new Testament. Yeah. And then we're going to meet two witnesses. And I was always told by the tribulation force that the two witnesses were Moses and Elijah, and they were literal witnesses proclaiming something on the streets of Jerusalem, but But John is going to call these witnesses lampstands, which universally is the, throughout all of Revelation is a a symbol for a church and two churches or two lampstands. That's a reference in Deuteronomy. If you're going to witness to anything, you have to have two witnesses. Right. So these are called witnesses and there's two of them. So deliberate callback into Deuteronomy about like testifying towards something. And these lampstands are going to be martyred, and then they're going to rise from the dead, just like their Jesus did. So they're going to faithfully witness to the nations. All right? So, so what we're getting is an answer to the question, so what's the role of the church if it's not raptured? Right. All right? All right? This is awful. This is awful. <laughs> chapter, uh, chapter 11. This is awful, okay? Let me get all my notes straightened out. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. So the idea here is that the witnesses we're about to meet are prophesying to the Gentiles, to the nations, um exclude the outer court, don't measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on my holy city, on the holy city for 42 months. Now we're gonna read about a lot of three and a half, three and a half years, and that's gonna be expressed in 42 months or 1260 days or three and a half days. And and as we've talked about, the number seven, and and this is so clear throughout Revelation is fullness, completeness, almost God's number, half of that is not fulfillment, it's not completeness. It's a short, uh, and it, it came to have the connotation of a uh, of a difficult period of time that was not gonna be forever, but it, it was bounded, but it was still nevertheless a very difficult period of time. So these numbers aren't in any way, shape, or form literal numbers here. They're all playing symbolically with being half of the number seven, all right? They will trample on my holy city for 42 months. I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, again, we're not lampstands and olive trees stand for corporate entities. These are not individuals. So we're talking about the churches, this new temple It's witness to the Gentiles, right? In the face of the rule of empire embodied in a beast that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood to strike the earth. And with every kind of plague, as often as that the one. So these are two references to the prophetic ministry of Moses and Elijah. Okay. So people think, oh, these are two. This is Moses and Elijah. No, this is just the office of prophet that's being described here. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss We'll attack them and overpower them and kill them. And we'll meet the beast. We meet the beast all the way back in Daniel chapter 7. The beast is not the Antichrist. What? They're, boom. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So we're dealing with symbols and metaphors here. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. Terror struck those who saw them and then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven on a, in a cloud while their enemies looked on. So here, that's another potential rapture uh, idea. Um, and at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified. And then there's this weird line and they, they gave glory to the God of heaven. All right. So we've just had all of these judgments. And then we have these two martyred lampstands who get taken up into heaven. And then it says the survivors gave glory to God. And then literally two verses later, it says the seventh trumpet the angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. So when you get to the big chart, okay,
2: which is on you social got seals, media. which
1: we covered, you got trumpets, but there's no repentance. All right. Then we have the day of the Lord image. But after that day of the Lord image, we read about this scroll that John is to ingest. And that scroll uh, has two images, measuring the temple, and then two witnesses that stand outside of that temple, testifying to the nations. The nations will persecute those two witnesses, and, and the witnesses will be vindicated. And it's that point the nations repent which is super fascinating. Then we get into another cycle of bowls. We have bowls that are straight from the Exodus plagues, but we read another time about how the nations didn't repent in chapter 16. And then we have another day of the Lord image. And then we have another earthquake and the cycle sort of repeats. So trying to unwind all of this is it, it it if you're looking at it linearly it makes zero sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean there's you're redoing things, you're starting over. What? What? If you're looking at this as a cycle that repeats, it makes a little more sense. And and if particularly if you've got your Old Testament eyes and ears on and you're like, "Oh my goodness, yes, these are day of the Lord images drawn from Egypt and Babylon and Israel's history. And one of the most, one of the, the most you know, important things that happens in the Exodus story is that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Right. Ten times we read that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and ten times we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, which shows this dynamic interplay between Pharaoh's will and God's will. So when we read what what we're what we're reading here is because so many of the plagues line up with the Exodus plagues that we're reading a, we're reading kind of the Pharaoh story over again yeah. the new the Exodus story over again through these cycles of the day of the Lord and that ultimately what brings the nations to repentance isn't the judgment or the justice that the martyrs were calling for but rather the the faithful witness of the church. And in fact, this interpretation is totally confirmed when you get to chapter 12. And there we meet a great dragon who was waiting for a child to be born. And the child gets carried off into the wilderness. And this is talking both about the church and about Jesus at the same time. The dragon is cast down and persecutes the followers of Jesus who defeat the dragon Um, by the word let's see what is it what is it uh, there's the very famous line that's slipping my my mind right now it's by the word of their testimony they did not seek by their deaths and the word of their testimony or something but it's literally like the the picture of martyrs again they defeat the dragon by being martyred just like so so again I mean I'm not doing justice to the intricacy of this granted i'm trying to fly through it but when you start cobbling together the bits and the pieces i think it it makes a really compelling picture for what the role of the church is no matter where we meet the church in revelation it's dressed in white often dipped in blood talking about having died or if it's on earth being it's still being persecuted and ultimately will be vindicated so the role of the church in the book of Revelation isn't, in my view, to be raptured out of um, the suffering and travails that all of the, you know, those unbelievers deserve. But instead, the church is to share the fate of Jesus. Right. To be persecuted, to be crucified, and to rise again.
2: Well, the weird thing is that part feels fairly clear. Yes amidst all this other stuff that is takes some work to discern and kind of unpack. But mm-hmm. the idea of part or how is it worded? Not to share in the victory but or to participate to witness to, to it. To witness to it. But then that means exactly what you just said. And I was just thinking about that too earlier when you're talking about the two churches, like these two lampstands. And I can imagine a lot of American churches or American church pastors from bigger churches or whatever trying to be like the posturing of we are we are one of those lampstand churches were going to be the ones that stand for x y and z and make this big difference but then the conclusion of that is that the victory is in sacrifice and martyrdom which i don't think is how those churches would advocate to become one of the it reminded me of like is it well no
1: no no see no 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 we would be glad to be martyred for the the truth in the culture war like like the the people who are out there culture warring see any opposition as vindication that
2: they're doing the right thing right but that's not really martyrdom no that's a success a no. victory through power the martyrdom through. in
1: revelation the the martyrdom in revelation is the loss of um the loss of privilege and cultural power yeah which is it's the li- antithesis it's life. Of kind of our mo exactly right so So when it says the church is to be victorious, we looked at that word When we looked at uh, Ephesus, the letter to Ephesus, to be victorious, to means to conquer militarily. Yeah. Yep. Here comes the conqueror, lion of the tribe of Judah. Nope. 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 Sorry. (laughs) Nope. Lamb that was slain. Oh, okay. Well then how about let's, let's deal some freaking justice on all these people that are persecuting, that persecuted Jesus and are persecuting his followers. Boom. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, bam, we meet the martyrs under the throne saying, how long, Lord, do we have to wait? God starts dishing out day of the Lord stuff, right? Nations don't repent. He keeps going day of the Lord stuff. Nations don't repent. But then we get this, this scroll that, that, that Jesus opened. How will God's kingdom come on the earth? And you're like, well, I don't know. So he eats the scroll, and then he says, "I have two visions. The first thing I saw is the temple being measured. Second thing I saw was outside of that temple in the court of Gentiles two witnesses that were lampstands and olive trees, and they testified and were persecuted by a beast. Who is it? A person, by the way. The beast is also a collective image. When we get, we'll look at the beast uh, a little down the road. When we get to Daniel, all of these are communal images. These are not individuals. Right. So we're dealing like with Bird's eye view from an apocalyptic lens, you know, God's people represent the child born, the dragon represents this great enemy of God, the, the um, you know, the empires of the earth are partnering with this beast who has two witnesses also. Um, you know I mean it's just it's insane how it all parallels and mirrors itself because you have a trinity and you have an anti-trinity you have hordes of the faithful and hordes of the unfaithful it's just this like beautiful thing that's happening but this this day of the Lord imagery is cycling over and over and over again so that the church will know that they will be victorious the same way Jesus was that that the suffering to come they will be vindicated from it but they won't be exempt from it and that it's that way that the nations are brought it's it's fascinating because in in um at the end of uh uh, chapter 11 it says literally and the and the nations of the world have become the the name or the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our god which is literally the point of the scroll right right so so either We're dealing with something that makes no sense literally, or there's some sort of cyclical picture that we're supposed to take from this that says that in the same way, God's judgments against Pharaoh did not soften his heart. It's not the judgment of God that's going to bring the nations to repentance. It's rather the faithful witness of Christ and his church that brings the nations to repentance. And so if that's true, what does faithful witness look like? And you exactly, you launched directly into it. For us, for in America, faithful witness often means I stand for truth. Mm-hmm. And I stand for truth in, in, um, uh, in a world that is lying all over the place. Like be, to be faithful means I stand for the gospel and the truth of the gospel in all of its implications. And, and that's what it means to be faithful. And certainly... When, when, when God, when Jesus critiques the churches in Revelation, part of their infidelity is that they are tolerating teaching that, that, that encourages them to assimilate to Rome. So that does matter. But the point of the teaching wasn't to stand for truth versus the heresy of these people. The point of the teaching was that you wouldn't partner with the dynamics of empire in your real life. It wasn't about what you believed or didn't. It was literally about whether or not you accommodated yourself in the name of Jesus to the world around you. And in that sense, that blasphemy is what the American church is full of. Me too. My heart too. Right? Because I want to use all of the dynamics of Americanism to do the work of the church. Right? So I want to benefit from the war making. Mm -hmm. I want to benefit from the economy. I don't look at, you know, my money. For retirement, I mean, that's in stocks. I have no idea what what it's invested in or what it's used for. As long as it grows, I'm happy. Right. Right? As long as my shirts are cheap at Walmart, I don't care where they're coming from or as long as my Apple products get here in time, I'm not worried about the factories they're made in. I'm just not. And all of that, it's that stuff that that john is going to critique later in the book that's the thing that's so shocking this isn't about standing for the truth in the sense of having right answers against everyone else it's standing for the truth in the sense i'm willing to lose privilege in order to be identified with jesus and his work in the world and doing his work his way yes right and his way that's the love of enemy, bless those who persecute you. I have nothing to protect in the world. If, if, if we really believed we have nothing to protect in the world, how dangerous would we be, all right? I mean, you would be so dangerous. Yeah. That's why the early Christians, they, they were convinced to a degree we can hardly imagine that this this was so right and so true and so revolutionary, they did not seek, and then again, I'm stereotyping in very broad swaths here, but they did not seek to protect property or style of life, but instead they were poured out and they were always poured out in the moments when culture ran the other way, during plagues. And this is so convicting because here I am during coronavirus and I'm pissed at people who are not wearing masks and I'm not letting my kids go outside because I don't know what the heck, how serious this whole thing is. And I'm reading church history about how Christians would come in as the rich people were fleeing the city, the Christians would come in to minister to those in the city and they would share regardless whether or not they got the plague. And you're like, good Lord, it's, it's, it's these times when the faithful witness of the church matters most. And so as the, you know, the world and, um, cries out, because the only imaginative you know, solution we have to Hamas is violence. Right? That's all we've got. And I'm not saying it's not warranted. But I am saying it's funny to me that I can't imagine any other scenario.
2: Well, all you know? the stuff that you just said, like you unpack like the idea of Christians going in to minister amidst a plague. And it's like, well, what does minister mean? And it's like, well, to share the gospel or whatever. Well, what does the gospel mean? No, 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 well, no, no. But I know, but they didn't share the gospel. I know, but the way that that gets interpreted during that time period was the church shouldn't be persecuted by being forced to not meet and the church shouldn't be persecuted. And so it becomes a salvific, not in health, a Mm. salvific in Mm. your understanding of um, all of this and salvation what that means. And it's not about ministering to the people, it's about you have the the spiritual antidote amidst a crisis. And so our definitions of all these things matter so much because even just in everything you just went through in Revelation of what it means to be victorious like the, those definitions matter because we see the literal translations of that used. There was an article, I didn't mm-hmm. read the article, but I saw the title float through about how, how much left behind has influenced American politics, like how much that mm-hmm. book has influenced mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. we posture ourselves in the world politically. And that's scary. And the, it comes down to definitions because that book is largely a misinterpretation. So the definitions are misaligned yeah but knowing what it means to yeah. be what did jesus if you if we are to emulate Jesus or to uh, minister in the way that Jesus did, not in the way that we want or see or desire, then you have to define what it how it, was it that Jesus ministered? And that's yeah. a very important distinction within all of this, because all I see is us yeah. doing it backwards or, or or doing it according to our interpretations and often our our interpretations are profitable and beneficial to us. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. mm Mhm. Yep. That'll preach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. That's it. And and uh, yeah. I mean I I have to I I'm uh, like I have energy around this, and I know you do too because it's in us. Like this isn't this isn't my normal default state. My normal default state is, man, I want to jump in and, you know, do all the things that we were taught to do and be a culture um, influencer and, you know, whatever. I mean, do do all of the Christian stuff that we're supposed to do in American terms. <laughs> Which is like, Jesus was the and, most
2: anti-influencer, like, don't tell anybody about this or like, you know, oh, this totally. is how Listen. you should do it, but don't, yeah. like, it's yeah. insane. yeah.
1: If you do something spiritual,
2: do it, do it in secret. Yeah. Don't tell anybody yeah. about it. Don't
1: Instagram it. Don't be the hypocrite just on the corner. Do it in secret. Yeah, exactly. Because then you have your reward. If it's if it's likes you want, then it's likes you yeah. get. But then I'm also like, how do you show up in a world where that's reaching so many people, um, and forming and discipling so many people? Does the church just not? say anything i don't know i don't know I have either. No idea. that's
2: why the, i think this richard beck thing to tie it all the way back to the beginning was has been oh, nice tie <laughs> has been hit sitting nice on my shoulder yes. and speaking in my ear of yes. like i the idea of looking for god in the other is an anti influencer it's the opposite and yeah. it's yes. well, allowing yourself to be influenced by god and to pay attention to other people it's like literally backwards
1: yeah because i'm not the gift nope that's what I need to keep reminding myself. I'm not the gift. I'm not the gift here, guys. I'm not the gift. It's true. But I am, though. <laughs> um, no. that's Yeah, that's it. All right. I'm talked out, Tim. Yeah. I need to go stare at a tree for two minutes. Maybe
2: make it four.
1: It is cloudy. It is like 70. Leaves are just walk. starting here. Oh, bro. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But you I know what I'm going to do right now? All right. Let's commit to that. Yep. I'm in. I said, no to, I said no to pickleball this morning because my knees hurt so bad from being run around by these old people. <laughs> They're not nice <laughs> either. They're totally ruthless. I love it. They'll smile. They'll smile. Don't you dare step in the kitchen, bro. And if you don't know what that is, you don't know pickleball. It's true. I'm, I'm now some sort of expert. Anyway, friends... Seth Erie is going to come home in a little bit with a fresh haircut. <laughs> His first question is going to be Hey, can we show this to Anna and Sophia, two girls that he likes? And our response is going to be No. <laughs> so that's how our day is going to go.
2: Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I got Taylor Swift concert anyway. tonight via the movie theater. What? Via the movie theater. We're going, we bought tickets to go oh. watch her in the theater. So we're oh. getting our outfits ready. Oh well, dude. Of course, your outfits for
1: Barbie were incredible. Mine wasn't. But that will you weird. please, will you please post something, or just text me a picture of the outfits? You got it. Because I'm expecting big things from this.
2: Yeah, I would, I would add, lower your expectations.
1: Well, I don't know. There was some, there was some Gospel Coalition article that was like seven things we can learn from Taylor Swift or something and then it was pulled down but someone screenshotted it it's just awesome it's just awesome I love it it makes me so happy here we are here we are so go learn something bro tell us
2: learn something about Taylor Swift because haters are going
1: to hate well or I don't know anyway friends we will let you go (laughs) God bless you
2: all the gospel according to Taylor Swift
1: we got a blank space with your name that's right So there it is. Until next time,
2: friends. See you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials, facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on Instagram at voxology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking the long road with us.